The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Good morning. I'm excited about being here this morning. And um, as you heard that I am definitely a friend and a neighbor of First Baptist Conyers. Um, I came all the way from River Club Subdivision, which is literally a stone throw away from here, depending on how well your arm is. <laughs> literally, I've been living in this community for about 13 years. And for the past 13 years, I've actually, and when I say this, I've actually seen ministry happen um, in our community. Specifically, seeing ministry happen in our neighborhood. Kind of a funny story is that many years ago, you guys had a uh, basketball ministry happening uh, throughout on, on a Tuesday night. And it would have, you know, maybe about 100 kids that would come from the community, surrounding community, surrounding neighborhood. And they would come here to play basketball. Well, I, I didn't know what was going on. And so all I knew was that there were kids crossing my yard. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, we're not having this. We're not having this. I just bought the house. And, and, and for some of you all who are lawn fanatics, you understand how I'm feeling right about now. You know, I get out there, cut the grass, put some fertilizer down on there, and I'm looking at my yard, and somebody walks across your yard. You're like, wait a minute, what you doing here? And one of the guys said, I said, what are you guys doing? He said, we're going to church. <laughs> I'm like, I don't believe this. Call the cops and everything else. Come, come, come to our house. And I'm like, what's going on? And, you know, come to find out that you guys were doing ministry. And, and that right there was a game changer. Because I saw the impact that the church was making in the community. For many years, I've had the privilege of investing in the lives of young people. I worked for an organization called Young Life for 18 years. So when I saw that and experienced that, I was like, wow. That's the church that is committed to reaching kids in a community where they are. One of the things I'm, I'm excited about is that I've, you heard that I've had the privilege of being a part of the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and I've been um, all of four months on staff. And when I came, our executive director, Thomas Hammond, made it very clear what our mission is as a mission board. One of the things he wanted to make sure was to let our pastors and congregation know that our pastors are our heroes. You have a hero that stands here every single day. J-Mo is an awesome man of God who seeks the presence of God, seeks the word of God, and he stands flat-footed every single Sunday or the Sundays that he's preaching to proclaim the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's a hero. And not only that, churches are our priority. Churches are, are closing at an alarming rate. But we understand that Without the church, people cannot hear and experience and be healed. And it is our responsibility as the church to make sure that we're viable, that we're functioning, that we are alive. That when people walk in here into the presence of God, that they don't feel like they're walking into a funeral. 
but they're walking into a, into a, a sanctuary that is spirit-filled with smiling people ready to welcome them, to invite them, to disciple them, to encourage them, to send them on their way. Amen. But not only is the church our priority, but Georgia is our mission field. We don't just have to go overseas to do missions. Georgia, our backyard, is our mission field. And so when you look at that, we are in for an exciting, uh, an exciting journey about what God is doing. And we're excited about being a part of that. As you, as you heard that, yes, I am the evangelism consultant uh, for the West Central region, which consists of everything from Newton County all the way to Troop County. We have about 600 churches that we are working with. And I'm excited just to be a part because I get to do what I love to do. And that is encourage, to motivate, and hopefully kick a hole in hell. <laughs> to help our pastors and our congregation to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to more people so that more people can hear and respond to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. This morning, I'm not going to be before you long, and as some Baptist preachers would say, uh, that and, and, and you'll believe them, I would say don't believe me. <laughs> I have 30 minutes, and I'm going to use 29 of those minutes, and I'm going to leave one minute to spare. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to begin reading at verse 18. That's Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to begin reading at verse 18. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. And as, as I'm accustomed to, if you can stand, if you will stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, that's Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 18 through 20. Hear the Word of the Lord. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Father, speak to our hearts this morning. Help us to hear, help us to see, and God, most importantly, allow us to receive what it is that you're going to say to us. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. This morning I would like to teach from this topic or the subject, living in the red zone. To understand this red zone, it is a football terminology, and what an exciting day it is. Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday. People are ready for, for tailgating in their backyards, in their garages, wherever they are. They're in, they're in Miami partying it up. They, they are ready. Football is here. The season is about to end, and I'm excited. See, I grew up in California. Don't hold that against me. I'm not a Georgia boy. <laughs> I grew up in California, and I grew up a 49er fan. Any 49er fans in here? All right, don't be ashamed. I am. I'm going to raise my hand high. 
I'm not ashamed of my team. I grew up a 49ers fan. And it's so real that, you know, I was so excited that, that, that I have a privilege of being able to be probably the only 49ers fan probably in my, in my, in my, in, in, in my, my sphere of influence, which is very small. But we're excited. You know, when you think about football, there, there's a lot of different terminologies. There's terms that we, that we learn that we, that probably, that we probably don't even understand. Some of them we, we do recognize, like everybody knows what a touchdown is. Everybody knows what offsides is. Everybody knows, knows what, a, what a fumble is. But, but there are some terms that people really don't understand. One being an audible. Audible when you come up to the, to the line of scrimmage and the quarterback is looking at the defense and he sees some things that are about to happen and he's able to make an audible call. The call has already been made from the sidelines for the play to run, but he sees something that's going to prevent the play from happening and being a success. So he calls an audible because he recognizes. Then you have the, 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 the end zone, which is very, very familiar to everybody. We understand that the goal is the end zone. It is the promised land for football. Everybody who wants to win wants to get into the end zone. They'll push. They'll scuffle. They'll do everything they can to make sure that they get the point. But there's another terminology that, that happens in between the end zone and 20 yards. It's called the red zone. The, the red zone is defined as that it is the last 20 yards before you get into the end zone. Announcers call this the red zone, and red zone football makes for some great football. If, if you're not a football fan, I'm sorry, but, but I'm telling you, if you watch the last 20 yards of a, of a game, as they're pushing, as they're driving, it becomes exciting because here's what happens. The defense is adjusting to the plays of the offense, and the offense is trying to understand or trying to discern or to try to, to, try to, to figure out what is going to be the move or the, 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 the play or what they're going to try to do to prevent the offense from scoring. So it becomes very, very competitive. In the red zone, weaknesses are found and strengths are identified. In the 20 yards, defenses are looking to see the weaknesses of the offense. As well as the offense is looking to make sure that they can see the weaknesses in the defense. What does that have to do with anything in the Bible or the text? One of the things I would, I would say to you is that in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus is making it very clear about living in the red zone. The red zone is an acronym that we're going to break down in just a few minutes. One of the things I recognize is that Satan's job 
is to prevent us from scoring. Satan's job is to look at the weaknesses that we have that prevents us from being able to score. And that score for us equates to winning people to Christ. That winning is, is, is making sure that we're prepared. The play has already been called. The instructions have already been given. We've practiced, we've practiced it. We, we, we've memorized it. We've gone over it in our heads. But the thing is, Satan recognizes that there are going to be some people that are going to be weak and sharing and living and being an example of who Jesus is in their lives. And as a result of that, he capitalizes on that weakness to prevent you, to make you think that you're not capable enough, Amen. that you're not skilled enough, that you're not confident enough to even share your faith. We can stand so close, be so close to the goal line, but yet it seems so far. As in football, the red zone is an important part for the church to understand and us as individuals. Understand Satan is watching and trying to calculate and perceive the weaknesses of each and every one of us. But here's the good thing, that we're strong. We understand that we are not weak, that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. That, that our responsibility is not just to stand on the sidelines and to observe other people playing, but for us to say, God, here I am, send me into the game so I can play. Amen. Now, understanding this text, Jesus makes it very clear about how we're supposed to live in the red zone. In the text... In Matthew 28, 18, before issuing his commission, Jesus laid the foundation for the success of their ministry journey and their ministry future. How did he lay the foundation? For three years, the disciples walked with Jesus. For three years, their faith was developed and strengthened because of what they saw what they experienced and learned. Jesus knew at this point that they were ready to go and they were prepared for the task that was before them. So Jesus makes this, this, this awesome, this clear, this bold declaration. He says, all authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me on earth and in heaven. This is a critical point to understand. What Jesus' authority is, it equips us, it empowers us, it enables us to do the mission that he has called us to be a part of. Without Jesus helping us understand that all authority has been given to him, which means that that same authority has been transferred to us. 
Jesus says this in John 14 and 12. He says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. What do I mean? What Jesus did when he said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he passed the torch. He, he passed the torch. When we hear this scripture, we hear these verses, we get excited. It's the Great Commission. The Great Commission for us to go. The Great Commission for us, that, that, that was Jesus commissioning his disciples. Let me help you understand something. Each and every one of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, you are a disciple. And this commission was not just for them. This commission is for us. The same way that Jesus told the disciples to go is the same way that he's telling you and I to do the exact same thing to go. But he wants us to know this. All authority and power on, in heaven and in earth has been given to him. And he promises, he says, greater work than these shall you do. So if we're seeing people in the Bible healed, restored, given hope, coming into salvation, accepting Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, what greater works can we do? A whole lot. But I understand something. As, as I was pastoring, one of the things I recognized was that there's this big word in this text that causes a lot of tension with people. It's a big, deep theological word that sometimes we have a hard time understanding. In the Greek, the terminology may be a little different, but the word that's really big in this text in verse 19 is go. Now, let me tell you the Greek meaning for go. Go. Let me tell you the theological meaning for go. Go. But preacher, what do you mean just go? Because I, I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't like talking in front of people. I don't, I, you mean go, you mean the same go that, 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 that J-Mo says and that, that you, want, you want me to go and share the message of Jesus Christ? I, I don't know Bible verses like you know Bible verses. I haven't been to seminary like you've been to seminary. I haven't been in, involved in church as long as you've been involved in church. Maybe this is new to me. I don't understand. But simply this, you have a story and your story needs to be told. And your story can only be told if you are obedient and allow yourself to be used by God. And that simply is to go. Your story is powerful. You, you, you may not know the 66 books of the Bible. 
You may just know the Lord's Prayer, the, 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 the Bible verse, the scripture of the Lord's Prayer. You may know Jesus well. That, that may be all that you know, but let me tell you something else you know. Is that you know when Jesus met you on your Damascus road and you had an encounter with Jesus and it became real to you that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. That if Jesus was able to save you from where you were, surely he can save someone else from where they were. But it takes your story. It takes you being confident enough to know that God is willing and able to use you to do and to share and to change lives because it's your story. One of the things I recognize is that nobody can refute your story. I love it. Nobody can refute your story. They can't tell you that it didn't happen to you. I stubbed my toe. No, you didn't. You're going to tell me I didn't stub my toe, and I feel the pain that's going through my body because I stubbed my toe. That's not what happened. Well, what happened? Well, I don't know. But let me tell you what happened to me. One day, I had an encounter with Jesus. Your story may be, one day I may have been an alcoholic, may have been on drugs, may have been in, a, in an abusive relationship, may have felt like I wanted to, to, to take my life. Maybe, maybe my, 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 my addiction could have been prostitution, pornography. Whatever your story is, God met you at your place of lowliness and he rescued you out of darkness and allowed you to experience his wonderful love and light. Amen. If Satan knows that you are afraid to tell someone the story, he's found that weakness. Can I, can I, can I encourage you real quick, please? Don't let Satan paralyze you from where God has brought you from. Don't allow Satan to paralyze you to give you fear because the Bible says God has not given us the, given us the spirit of fear. But of a sound mind. He's given us the ability to do. So when he says to the disciples, go. He simply meant to go. And here's where we come to the first R in red zone. The first R is to reach. He's called us to reach the least of these. It's not just my job. It's not the minister's and the pastor's job. We're all called as missionaries. We're all called to do our part. There's no big eyes, little U's. Everyone here signed up for this. Many of you probably thought that well, when, I, when I gave my life to Christ, that's all I thought I was going to do. I just, just want to go to heaven. I want to Walk down, I want to walk through the pearly gates. I want to walk on the streets of gold. I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to go to that place that, that I've heard about in songs, but you didn't realize 
that you, 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 you committed yourself to a life of service. Reaching people where they are. Why is it important? What does it require? To reach means causes us to be participants, to be involved, as we all have a role. And our role is to reach people through your relationships. It doesn't take you just to go to Walmart and stand out in front of Walmart and to ask somebody, hey, had you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If you were to die today, will you go to heaven or hell? That may not be your ministry. But you may have a ministry of relationship. That's one thing that we all have. We all are able to build relationships with at least one person. And if I'm able to build a relationship with one person, I'm reaching that one person. I know you guys are going through the who's your one. And a lot of times we get conflicted with that who's your one because, you know, you know we, we can go down the line. I, I'm too young. I, I'm too old. I, I don't get out. Well, let me, add, let me just add this. When you are looking for your one and you don't have your one, if you ask the one for the one, he'll give you the one. But first you've got to ask. Everybody in my circle is saved. Everybody's a Christian. Everybody goes to church. Well, you need to get out that circle. You need to go to a circle that, that there's some unsaved people. The park has a lot of unsaved people. Gym has a lot of unsaved people. Grocery stores have a lot of unsaved people. Restaurants have a lot of unsaved people. The gas station has a lot of unsaved people. The church has a lot of unsaved people. <laughs> Going to be intentional. We have to be able to understand what it means to be on mission to reach people where they are. Jesus demonstrated this in Matthew 9:35. And he says, says, then Jesus went to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. <laughs> Jesus didn't stay in, in, his, in his comfort zone. Jesus went to where people were. You want to reach? Let's get out of ourselves. Let's make ourselves the minority and what is perceived to be the majority. And I'm not talking about culture. I'm not talking about gender. I'm, I'm talking about being the minority who is representing the kingdom of God and a minority of people who are lost. And not necessarily preaching the gospel, but living the gospel, being the gospel, being the example of the gospel. So when someone asks you why, you're able to give a reason for your faith. 
because one day it's going to happen. And I can't wait to hear it because when it happens, the seats in the church are going to be filled. The baptismal is going to be overflowing because water is going to be flowing out of it because people are going to come saying, what must I do to be baptized? If each one of us, and I'm included, I'm on my, I'm, I got my own one. Matter of fact, I got one times five. That is one thing for me to preach it, but it's another thing for me to live it. If, if we were intentional about getting that one, the seats will be overflowing. People, lives will be changed because of your intentionality of reaching them where they are. The second E, the E in red is to evangelize. Jesus went, Jesus wanted us to go. He demonstrated that as an example. And he helped us understand that we're not just along for the ride, but our job is to evangelize. In verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The only way that we're going to be able to baptize them is that we have to evangelize them. And the only way that we're going to be able to evangelize them is by reaching them. And if we're intentional about reaching them, people will come to understand who Jesus is for themselves. They will begin to understand who Jesus is for themselves. Evangelism doesn't just happen here on Sunday mornings. It just doesn't happen in small groups. It just doesn't happen on Wednesday nights. It happens every single day that you wake up with the Word of God in your life. All of us have the responsibility to roll, of having a role in investing in the lives of people. To make disciples is not just reaching them where they are and being comfortable with where we are, but he says all nations. One of the beautiful part about it is that we have in the city of Atlanta all nations represented. You probably have in your neighborhood different nations represented. What I love about this church, which, which, is, so, which is so refreshing, is that as we look around the congregation, we are surrounded by people from different nations. Are we here just to collectively worship together? No, we're here to collectively be empowered to go out and reach other people to bring them back in here. This is not just your comfort zone, and y'all look good. Let me say that. Y'all look really good. Y'all dress up really good. Y'all look great. But that's not why we come here. We come here to be empowered, to be engaged, to be fueled to go out and to share what we've heard on Sunday morning. Mark 6 and 34 
says this as a demonstration of evangelism and for us to evangelize. It says, and Jesus, when he came out, saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. Why was he moved with compassion for them? Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Jesus saw the multitude, and the key was that he had compassion. Let me, let me delve in real quick. When was the last time that you had a deep burning compassion about somebody who's lost? When was the last time that you pleaded with God, not just for someone to, to talk to them, but that God would use you to change and to impact their lives? When was the last time that you got on your knees and pleaded for God to move in a person's life that they may experience Jesus? When was the last time that you saw somebody who was lost and you began to weep over them because you know that there's more in their life or to their life than what they have right now? When was the last time that God moved your heart with such compassion that it broke your heart because you know that if it breaks your heart, it definitely breaks God's? Jesus saw them, saw the multitude as sheep without a shepherd. And he was moved. So many times we leave here and we just go have dinner, have lunch. And we see people at restaurants. We see families kind of dysfunctional, messed up. And we look at them and like, oh, man, I'm glad my kid's not like that. I'm glad my marriage is not like that. I'm glad my family's not like that. But when was the last time you stopped and you're like, God, I know my family's not like that, but I know that that's not how you intended their family and their life to be. Amen. And you begin to agonize, not because you know them, because you know that they don't know him. Amen. Jesus demonstrates to us To have a compassion, to see people not as objects, but to see them as people. To see people not just as objects or means to an end, a means of coming in to sit in seats, but you're seeing them as people. Being able to see people through the lens of God who are broken who are lost, who are in need of something, and they don't know what, but we have the answer. God is calling us to reach by building relationships. He's calling us to evangelize for the purpose of sharing our story. But then he's also calling us to disciple. He's calling us to disciple. In verse 20, it says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Teaching them what I've commanded you. Many of us have been sitting for years on God's word. And do I dare say 
no point intended that some of us are very spiritually obese. We have a lot of word inside of us and it's weighing us down and we're just getting fatter and fatter and because we're getting it for us instead of getting it for us to give away. We're supposed to exercise our faith. We exercise our faith by not looking at people, but sharing with people. We exercise our faith by not just saying this is what you're supposed to do, but helping them and walking along them, walking, walking along with them, demonstrating and saying, you know what, I got it wrong, but let me help you get it right. Learn from me. Paul says this in Philippians 4, and I'm almost finished. Finally, brother, whatever things are true, Whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. But here's what he says in verse 9. He says, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace would be with you. Did you catch that? He says, what you've learned and received, heard and saw in me. To evangelize is not just to teach. It's to model. People have to be able to see it. They got to be able to hear it. They got to be able to understand it because why? They only do what's been done to them. Jesus doesn't just want us to be able to, to tell the story. He wants us to live the story. He wants us to be the example to others so that people may understand, oh, that's how you live. That's how you do it. Oh, you mean to tell me that you mess up too? You, you, you have, you have, you wrestle with this thought too? Yes, I do. But understand that the thing that I do recognize is that I know how to go back and say, God, I'm sorry. The red zone is an important place for us to live. Matthew 28 is just not the Great Commission for them who are disciples in the story. It's for us who's living the story every single day. We have to be intentional to live in the red zone. Satan is going to attack our weaknesses. But we have to understand that the promises of God are yes and amen. We have to know that Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. The promise is that I am above and not beneath, that I am the head and not the tail. That if I call certain things into, into being, that heaven has to line up. 
because of the authority that's been given to me because it's been given to him. We have to live it. We have to live in the red zone. Folks, I want to encourage you this morning as I close that being in the red zone is not a bad thing. Being in the red zone is how we're supposed to live our lives. Reaching, evangelizing, discipling, walking with people, helping them understand how to live and how not to live. Be an example of who Christ is in our lives so that they can actually see, yes, some of our mess-ups and a lot of our successes. But that comes when we avail ourselves to the gospel message being true in our hearts. One of the things I recognize is that there are some of us in here that have been standing on the sidelines for a long time saying, I'm too old, I'm too, that, I did that, I'm done. I'm going to give it to the younger people to do. I've done, I've done what I'm supposed to do. News alert. It's not over until you take your last breath. You're still in the game. And you still have work to do. Some of you have to say, you know what? I have not been living and intentional about being the one who's praying and trying to get that one. It's a good slogan, and I'll pray for those who are doing it, but I've done my one. You're not done. God is saying for you, to engage, get up, dust yourself off, go to the book, dust off your story, tell your story, not the piece of your story, your whole story. Because it's in that darkness that you don't want to share that is the breaking point for someone else. What you're ashamed of God is saying, that is what I've delivered you from. That is what you need to share. And then there's some of us in here who are like, you know what? I don't know about this red zone. I never experienced it. But let me help you, let me help you understand something. God is waiting for us and waiting for you to respond to the gospel. You may not have your one. But one thing you do know in your heart is that you are the one. That he's calling and pressing on your heart. You're saying, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, but I'm not right. I've been trying to, I, I got to get this done, I got to do this. No, God is not wanting you to get yourself right. He wants you to come simply as you are. He's not going to judge you. He wants to love you. And I'm confident that as you decide to make the commitment to give your life and surrender yourself to Christ, that you have a body of believers that are right here that were willing to love you as well. Let me help you understand those of us who, who are in Christ, praise God. But those of us who are still, those of you who are still looking and considering, 
trust that the same God that cleaned up all of us is the same God that can clean up you. That's what he's called us to do. Folks, let us be intentional about reaching, about evangelizing, and about discipling. Let us be intentional about living in the red zone. Let us pray. Father, thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for your word that continues to convict us, encourage us, give us power and authority to walk in it because you spoke it. God, every person that's here that's under the sound of my voice, God, I pray that you would touch their hearts. God, if they're off on the sidelines, looking, being innocent bystanders, spectators, God, convict their hearts right now. God, that they may be able to stand and to be active in what you have done and are doing in their lives. God, age is nothing but a number but eternity is forever. And so, God, we want people to come into understanding who you are. Let them know that they're not a weakness, that they're a strength. And for those who have not accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior, let them know that their life is not over, that their life is getting ready to begin by totally surrendering their lives to you. God, touch each and every person here. Lord, we do love you and we thank you for your word, for your power, and your authority. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.